Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, March 20th. It is episode 163. I am almost TPF bound. You are. I thought you were going to say you were schmaug. I am schmaug. Okay. Write in eclecticgamerspodcast.gmail.com and complain about the smog impression that did not come from me. <laughs> but, and I'm Dennis, and I'm almost also TPF bound. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the episode, but... Here we are. It's, as you noted, episode 163. We've been at this a very long time. And so people are probably used to the fact that we do introductions at this point. So what's been going on? Have you played any games? I've played limited, very, very limited games. I uh, have gotten back into reading a whole lot. Mm. Um, I mean, I always read a lot. But I mean, I've read, in the last two weeks, I've read... Thousands. Four books. Oh, okay. So... Uh, I've been, I, I have kind of, we had a conversation about what audiobook we were going to listen to on our way to TPS. Yes, we did that a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. And one of the things is, is when we were talking about it, we talked about stuff that was too long for the trip. Because our run, for those that don't know, it's about 16 hours. Right. Roughly. Right. And we, but we talked about hit, maybe hitting some of the old political stuff, like uh, Hunt for Red October, the old, uh, what do they call them? Military techno thriller thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that got me thinking about it, so I started reading old military techno thrillers. Mm. I've read I've reread Flight of the Old Dog, which is weird because it's from 87, so the technology that's all the super cutting edge secretive stuff is just it's insanely like a out cell of phone. Date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they didn't even Night have vision. They didn't even have I mean it, it was written in 87. It didn't even have stuff that was that advanced. It had like oh our navigation computer loads from a cartridge. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Atari coming to life. <laughs> the GPS can get our position accurate within 100 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it it it, it it's just stuff like that. Yeah, total no, the- aside, uh but I want, but it ties to you so I want to bring it up. Did you not, and maybe I'm misremembering, it was some friend of mine, years and years and years ago, for a city government, did a summer job going around and GPS tagging. Yes. Was that you? I've done that. Okay. That was one of my, that was one of the things I did in the late 90s when I was working as a seasonal worker for the city. Okay. Uh, And that was was back in the day where. It was, you walked out and like, you're like, oh, here's a water valve. Yeah. And you set the thing up on top of the water valve and the big GPS thing. And this was like 98, 90, 97, 98. And you hit all the buttons and it would start tracking. And then you just sit there for five, 10 minutes until it locks it, until it locks it down in, uh, uh, strong enough. And then you save all the data and then you go to the next one that's like three inches away and do the exact <laughs> same thing yeah. and wait for another 10 minutes while it locks it in. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but it reminded me of that. That uh, you know, people nowadays probably don't think about the whole arduous process it was right. to start tagging ev- the location of everything. Yeah, it didn't just automatically become magically tagged in Google. Yeah, no, it was it was a huge thing. And actually, I mean, I work with the city currently, and uh, we had the city has an entire GIS group, and they actually came through. A couple of years ago, because we had a whole bunch of construction done and a bunch of new pipe laid with some new valves and some new manholes and stuff. And they came through to update with the new stuff. And they would set the pole up and they'd hit the button and they'd stand there for about 45 seconds. And then they'd walk on to the next one. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, man. It used to be that you were, I mean, you would get like 
15 or 20 items a day sometimes by the time you drove from one site where you get three or four things and then drive a couple blocks and get a few. You'd be like, ah, oh, that's just amazing. I mean, you grab like eight things and then go to lunch some days because it just <laughs> took so long. Because if it was cloudy or something, it would take forever to lock in. And it was just, that was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so back to your intro. Sorry. Sorry for so, the, but, but, I've but just your, been, your, uh, yeah. your techno 80s thriller stuff reminded me of the 90s. Right. Well, and that's the thing is I've just, I've been reading some of those old uh, military techno thriller things. And then I found that there are some modern versions of it. Uh, and I started reading a series by, it's a pair of former Navy guys who write, who have a series. It's like, they've got like seven books out that it's basically like the modern version of what the old Jack Ryan books and stuff mm. were. Mm. And they've been really good. So we'll see cool. how, how it finishes. I've only finished, yeah. I'm only like halfway through the second one. So, well, your, your book selection for our pinball trips has been pretty solid overall. I'm trying to think the, the weakest one was probably. Double vision. Yes. The second <laughs> Thrawn book. And I found out since then there is a third Thrawn book. Which I liked all the Thrawn parts. Right. It's just the Vader part. It was, was so terrible. So I was so bad. And, and there is a third Thrawn book, apparently. Oh, okay. So that is an option if we want to switch up the plan. It is under the drive time. I know. So, let's stick with the current plan. Okay. Next time we can do Thrawn yeah. 3.0. Yeah. Because I didn't realize there was a third book until. Yeah. Nothing. We have yeah. to figure out what more is needed. But before it joins the yeah. rebels, before yeah, yeah, before it's on rebels, yeah. So, but that's that's basically what I've been. Besides the normal stuff, yourself, uh, I I do have gaming news. So I actually, so as I projected that I would from our last show, I did finish Yakuza Like a Dragon like the day after we recorded. So I, I was pretty close because I was in the finale, chapter finale, right. So from there, I went to move on to Train Sim World 2, which was a game I got for my birthday. It's too hard. Driving trains is too hard. Like, it, how? Well, look, it's not like you just start the ignition and turn on the gas. Like, there was, I'm talking the tutorial. So I was in a train yard. This is like tutorial in the sandbox number five or something. And I'm supposed to go and pick up some cars and then deliver them, I think, back at the train yard. You know, no big deal. So the they start you in the engine already running, but it's like I turn off the brake. I make sure the secondary brake is off. I turn on the throttle. I make sure we're not in neutral, but we're in forward. The train is not moving. I hear it getting more and more power as I turn the throttle up more and more, but it's not moving. So I'm like, oh, wait, we're dragging a second engine. So then I go back and I turn off all the brakes on that. It's still not moving. There was another switch on the little side. And you're actually in like the cockpit. <laughs> so I'm like there and there's like a little switch where I had to move it from 24 and 16 to, to no cars. And then it started to move. I don't know why I couldn't move when it was set for some other mode. And then it was just going along and I hit another train. And they so didn't tell me. They have not taught me how to know where there's another train on the track. So we skipped that lesson, apparently. So this is like the train version of DCS. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And when I put it on my list, in my defense, I thought maybe this was like a railroad tycoon. Right. So, but no, it's, this. you're going to learn how to, and I went online to look for help, because like, you're going to learn how to drive an actual train, like, 
They have a bunch of realistically conveyed engines of all these different like bullet trains, passenger trains, freight trains, steam locomotives. I haven't tried any of those because I can't even figure out how to work a basic diesel. So I go online like to figure out what am I doing wrong? Uh, like someone else has said, yeah, the train, my train won't move. So I'm like, I'll click on that. That's probably the same problem I have. And the like the first person responding is, uh, you didn't tell us what engine type. You didn't tell us what the grade of the slope is that you're on. And, and you didn't tell us if you're, what your conditions are. Are you already do, like, what are we, are we starting from a cold stop or is your engine <laughs> warmed up? And I was like, close. And I was like, that goes on the shelf. <laughs> that goes on the, you know what? Mistakes get made. As you said on the show, I never talk mistakes are made. And I think, uh, I probably will not be getting any more achievements in, in, uh, train sim, uh, world two. Well, I Maybe can, I should start with Train Sim World One. I, I can I can recommend you eventually some other more railroad tycoon like games. Okay. I have a couple of them because I do have a railroad empire game, and I probably should go back to it. I got stalled out on a mission, but I know what I did wrong. Right, so I I figured that out. That's I just want to build a train empire. I don't want to wear the little hat. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So so after that, I started and finished uh, Oxenfree. Which I'd had oxen free on my for years. It was like a free game at one point, and I'd always heard really good things about the story. And it was it was a it was an interesting story. I don't know if I'll replay it because I don't think there's a lot of replayability to it. But I did miss a lot of the collectibles and stuff. But anyway, I did all that in one day. It's a pretty short game. I think it took less than four hours ish, maybe. So I did that, uh, and then lately I've been playing a roguelike. Uh, with some RPG mechanics, uh, isometric shooter called Nerovoider, which you basically get a little mech, you go around, twin stick shooter. It's kind of like the alien right. uh, twin stick shooter games we played in co-op. And this supports up to four player co-op, but you just go through and it gets progressively harder and, you know, randomized levels basically. So I've been playing that. I've been doing like, there's a daily challenge every day. So I've been working on that. So that's what I mostly played, especially the last week. Except uh, yesterday, I started Strider, the Capcom, like the Kier, like, like Hear You, Hear yeah. You Strider. This one's just called Strider. It was, I think it was, I don't know if it's the latest, latest one, but it was released with like the PS4 and Xbox One. So I've had it for a while. I think I bought it when it was on sale, and I never started it. But how can you do that? But I've been Talk watching Steam. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, but I've been watching a uh, YouTube series called What Happened, mm-hmm. which is a guy, he, he's, I actually found it on a movie, but he mostly does games of a uh, Metroid Other M. What Happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Cap, uh, Capcom Cross Tekken. What Happened? Like, basically, usually bad games. Like, right. what, what made games bad? So I've been watching that. And um, Strider came up in one of those. And I thought, I think I have a Strider game I never started. And I'd never played a prior one. Right. So I've been going through. And so far, it's been relatively easy, though. I was dying left and right to a boss this morning who I tried to do before our pinball tournament yesterday and, and couldn't finish. Finally got through him. But so did all that. And then um, and we had pinball tournament at Pizza West yesterday. You won your money back. I got my money back. So yeah. you did very well. I think I tied for ninth, which I mean, we did four strikes, so we were there quite a while. I think you were tied for tenth. We were tied. For, I was tied for tenth. You were tied for eighth. Eighth. Yeah. Okay. 
So I looked this morning. Yeah, because I was oh, curious I, who I, ended I up winning. It. Yeah, I, I saw on Facebook that uh, that Jason ended up winning. Yeah, unsurprisingly. <laughs> so, but we had a lot. Actually, there's a topic that's inspired by some discussions we had there about the quality of games today that we're going to get on into in the pinball segment. Uh, and then finally, also related to pinball, uh, last week I did the pinball show with Jason Knapp of Knapp Arcade because my usual co-host, Zach Benny, has taken a month hiatus through March. Sabbatical. So, so I have, yeah, sabbatical, sabbatical. So while he's out, uh, you know, researching uh, Lafayette or whatever he studies <laughs> in, his, in his spare time, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to keep my usual every other week schedule. And I'll do the editing and stuff, and I'll just bring in guest hosts. So that was the first one. Though I don't know about the second one, because that's going to be at TPF. Yeah, that'll be a little. And every time we recorded an expo, and that's the only time I've ever pulled off a recording of a podcast at an event. Every other time, I have been way too tired. Right. And but uh, Expo, there was nothing Expo to do. Expo sucked so much that we had plenty of, like, what do you want to do this for? Do you want to go and, and play the same... No- 10 non-broken games no let's just record the yeah. podcast instead so it was a lot better use of time uh to kill it's like how much time can we kill till we go find food that's basically it <laughs> so speaking of finding things i think we found ourselves now in the pinball section and at first i didn't think there was going to be a whole lot of content i don't think most of these topics will take too long but we do have a number of them to touch on and the first one i want to start with is uh, multimorphic and their new Weird Al game for the P3. So yesterday, which was Saturday the 19th, 2022 for those listening way in the future, <laughs> this was when Kevin of uh, Buffalo Pinball was doing the live stream reveal of Weird Al. It had not, we'd not seen, we'd only seen trailer stuff. We'd not seen right. any real gameplay. So the problem for us, Tony, was we were in the midst of me taking 10th in a pinball tournament and you taking 8th to actually watch this. So I didn't see it live. However, I did take some time this morning and watch a small section of Buffalo Pinball's archived you know, video on Twitch. You know what we should have done? What should we Nobody have would have minded is if we'd taken over the TV at the venue and streamed it to that TV instead of the final four or the, 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 the March, March Madness. Madness. Yeah. I'm, that would nobody, got, I'm sure nobody. I didn't see been. anyone look up at that TV at March Madness except all the time. <laughs> so yeah, it would have been great. It would have been great. Um, so again, these are just some quick first thoughts I had. Uh, from watching, and I did not watch a whole lot. May ten minutes on the top end, probably. But I, I watched a little bit of Kevin play, and I watched a little bit of Cal- Colin McAlpine, who helped do some of the rules design for. It. He's a very good player. Uh, so I watched some of that. So my initial takeaways uh, would be one: the song and mode integration is excellent. Like they've really chosen the modes around the song. Every song they went into clearly tied to the mode like yeah there was like uh there's one of the songs i don't remember the song name sorry but uh about like a corporation song and so there's like a thing with stocks and you're trying to sell stocks while that while the song is going on uh there's the one where my baloney yeah my bologna i guess i should say where you need to go and build the baloney sandwich is the mode and there's one I think about being stuck in in traffic or something, and you're you actually are trying to move your car into different lanes while that's going on. So very well thought out. Like, how are we going to make a mode around the song? Right, it was really really clear. So that was really strong. 
Uh, something I not I not realized that really steep ramp. I don't think it's the far right ramp. It's like the center right ramp uh, that goes up. Um, it's like okay, is that how clean of a shot do you have to do to get a ball to elevate that far? They have a magnet to help it. Okay, because so, I remember we talked about that ramp looking kind of yeah. Is that going to be clunk? Is it going to be a clunk fest where you can, no one likes it when you can't get up a ramp? Now my now my alternative question is: Does that mean that ramp is too easy? I get, but right, but I, I don't know. Some shots should be easy in my in my view. There should always be a mix of easy and hard shots. Ideally, I love the hamster wheel, like watching it spin with the ball locks and stuff. I just thought, and I could tell that from the trailer. It just it was really really cool. It was a standout. It stood out more than the moving camera did to me. Whereas in the trailer, the camera really caught my eye a lot. But the hamster wheel was pretty cool. You know, I don't with my very limited viewing. I did not get a good sense of the practicality of all the flippers. Like, especially the two side flippers, I didn't get a good feel for how often you need them or if you should ignore them. The upper, upper flipper, the fifth flipper, right. that got used a lot on the baloney one, for example, because it's up there that you're trying to build the sandwich. But it also kind of gives me some vibes of the flipper on Rob Zombie by the chicken bucket or whatever, where it was like pretty easy to keep on there and, and do your loop yeah. or whatever. Um, but again, maybe some of the other, that was only one little and again, even Colin was falling out of it. So it wasn't, I don't think it was as easy as the Rob Zombie one. Because I like with Rob Zombie, I could do double digit loops and I'm terrible. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so just in terms of a standout thing. Um, and then finally, the, the animations on the main screen phone game. That's pretty standard. Yeah, I've it was, uh, just it for was, all pinball, anything with the screen, it's always some, some looked, some looked better than others. There's a uh, one time when I think Kevin was in a mode where he was trying to, uh, repair the hall and there were like these tools flying across the screen. I thought that looked pretty good. The baloney and they put the baloney on the, on the main screen, see how far your sandwich went. Very phone game, but but clean. The Weird Al is like a as a paper puppet. Nah, I did not think that looked very good, and I didn't care for the like the one where you're changing the lanes on the cars. You just you look at it this and it's like, okay, the money went to the license. So right, which again, fully animating. I mean, it's something that we've I think we've talked about quite a bit. You know, sort of like JJP sort of set that standard on screen animation, and it's not even that big compared to the whole play field. I remember seeing a lot of stuff from Stern and mean like and I know they're dumping a lot of money into it. And it's still like, yeah, we come from video games. Right. And so I'm used to better would be my statement. We're spoiled. We are. Because it's not fair to compare this to a triple A game. But I can't help but do it. If you're emphasizing the screen so much. I can't help but say I would like to see more, I guess if I were to But the main thing, as I've always said with any traditional pinball is, it's not about the art. It's about the gameplay. So that's really what it needs to come down to. And it, it looked enjoyable. I don't know until I try it if I would think it's more fun than a heist or not. I don't know. Heists, heist is so fun with the crane. I'm just. It is. Uh, we'll it's have a, to see it. Heist TPF. was really enjoyable. So, which, that's not a problem to have. It's a good thing right. if you're like, <laughs> I like Weird Al, but. I really like heist. That's like that. It gives an added reason to want to maybe get a P3. Right. Because that'd be two games that you really like. For the price of something. Yeah. Don't make me do that. We can't. I can't do the math. Like, I don't know what the math <laughs> is. Adding yeah. the heist module no, and the, the Weird Al game is. So you're at over 11,000 with that. And then it's. Is it under two to get the heist module? So it's. So it would be about. 
maybe stern two stern pros roughly okay i think it's less than two retail stern pros i'll 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 round it i'll say roughly two stern pros we get you two multimorphic games but once you modules but then right. you got the other games that work with modules they're much cheaper and you can yes. add those in so throw in a few of those as well so anyway so that was uh the where you didn't see any of the video no i'm gonna go clean i'm uh, going to, i'm gonna go to tpf clean yeah make my own you make your get own, my own first impressions yeah, well, yeah. Until I until I play it, I can't I can't really ju- and that's why I'm not really talking about a lot about the shots other than like watching which flippers got used. Right. Which again, uh there've been other games where you'd think maybe a th- a third flipper for example is integral and people might ignore it. Uh my strategy on Do- Doctor Who when we played in tournament was I'm not using that third flipper at all. I'm just not going to do it. Not going to do it. 1000 points of flipper <laughs> life. So let's move on to Haggis. Now, this one was a surprise. And I have a link to uh, Nap Arcade. He has uh, coverage of this that I saw this morning. Fathom Revisited. Boom. Finally, a gameplay reveal. Now, the reason I say finally is I have not been waiting with bated breath for the 2.0 gameplay. And this involved 2.0 code. That's right. Because we all know Fathom. It's, yeah. But because Fathom's from 81. It's Fathom. Almost as old as us, almost. The issue what has been that and this has been mostly on pin side but haggis has been really quiet about fathom it's way behind schedule everyone knows that but a lot of people or at least a few people have been frustrated by the lack of communication on on what's going on with the fathom build we know they're still building games in fact haggis this last week i think or or week before had a huge shipment of of celts arrive i think in europe so they're building stuff, but everyone's like, but where's Fathom Revisited? It was supposed to come out in the summer. Right. Last summer. <laughs> not this summer. So, right, right, right. <laughs> and so, and, and those delays have been all acknowledged. So it's not like it's been radio silent, but this was a company that it didn't, if not prided itself, at least was very heavily involved in doing a lot of updates. And that sort of stopped. Well, this update came out. And so... Uh, Martin Robbins, who's been working a lot on the rules, and there was another individual as well, were on the on the video. I only watched about five minutes of this, so I didn't just before we started recording. So I only saw a little bit of it. It's up on at, uh, on YouTube, and and the article Jason Knapp's site has that I'm linking to. It has a it's embedded, so you can watch the video there. In terms of the 2.0 stuff, some interesting things. Unsurprisingly, more depth to the code. Why else? Like, yeah, why would you do a 2.0 if you did exactly? So. They have incorporated several multiballs and modes. And one of the, so for example, there's like a lagoon multiball, which I believe I saw a little bit of that. Um, Martin talked a bit about how there are mermaid battles. I think they refer to those as the mermaidens. I'm wondering if that's a play off of the combat. What, what were those? The mermaidens from Greeks or I don't, I'm guessing. Martin can, Martin can clarify if ever hears this episode. Uh, there's a mini wizard mode where you fight a, uh, the mermaid queen. Which I guess you can battle the 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 Myrmidons, the Mermaidens, and get to her. But there's also another way to get to her, and and a few other stuff, a few a few other items. So way more to do than on traditional Fathom, which was mostly about locking balls and trying to get your multi ball. Exactly. What I will say in terms of what I saw, uh, and Martin was while he's playing, he explains some of it, and they they note they weren't going to show everything. So like they showed how to activate a mo- uh, one of the modes, but but like they weren't going to show you how to beat it, for example. 
And that fits with Martin's philosophy. I know he as a player doesn't tend to like to watch gameplay video before he, he wants to, like you, he wants to go in pure and try a game. That's how I so, prefer to do it. Yeah. So then that's his style too. But uh, anyway, so I watched a little bit of the Lagoon multiball and stuff, but the thing I, I don't want to talk about the modes too much. People can check out the video. If they want to see that. All right. The lighting effects, really impressive. When they're talking about the game, it's in attract mode and it's bathed in blue and they've got a lighting effect that makes it look like it's underwater. That's cool. It's pretty cool. And I thought my only concern initially was now, surely they're not going to make you play like you're underwater while you're, because this is like blue. <laughs> this is like too much blue. <laughs> but I'm like, no, no, surely we've, we've come so far since LEDs first came out. And no, as soon purple, as the, all the yeah, things, yeah, all the purples, all the clown vomit. No, as soon as the ball was plunged, white GI and you can see the art. Nice. And stuff. So you're no longer under the water. So that was a standout. They, they put in effort into those lightning effects. Another thing, the sound, really interesting. If people like TNA's Electronica sound package, mm-hmm. listen to this and see if you like this would be what I would suggest. Now, I know Martin. I wonder if he weighed in or had heavy influence on the sound package because he's a big Electronica fan. This is almost like a lo-fi Electronica in the base game. And then when he got into, I think it was Lagoon Multiball, it kicks up into into like heavy beat sort of electronic music. That's cool. So, so it's got it's got sound. It's 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 got sound. I think the spinner that the one of the spinner sounds is very uh throwback kind of to the traditional, but it sounded like maybe it was modified to sound a little cooler. But um but overall, just the visual change ups with it, I can see where people would want to have the upgrade and and had they not uh like if they weren't sure, like it looks way better. It it looks really modern. Well, see, and that's one of those things that I think for any of these whole 2.0 type thing is the whole, that's the more interesting thing to me is doing the, what you can do with RGBs and, mm-hmm. and, and the sound and all of that, because some of the games are already good games and some games I, I'm always leery about new code because it could break it. You could take out what's fun, but just the simple being able to make it prettier, that's always acceptable. Mm-hmm. And as I, and I, I believe that this was confirmed way back when they were doing the initial annou- announcements, the, the, mer- the revisited LE versions with the 2.0 code, you can still play the original code. Right. So you have that option, uh, which is something that I, I've always sort of associated with 2.0 kits. So let's go into that, because initially that's what I thought was going to be the big news item. And it's a weird way to describe it, because it's all kind of like scattershot in terms of what's going on. But holy cow, it seems like 2022 is the year of the 2.0. 2022 is the year of the 2.0? Why couldn't they've all been announced on 2 2.0 day? Because some of them are before 2022. On Taco Tuesday. Yes, Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after uh, after the tournament, I was still hungry, and I thought I'll just stop at Taco Bell and get tacos. a three pack taco. Yes, tacos. I think I waited in line thirty minutes 
It was, I don't know if like some kid's soccer game got out at 8.30 or what, but oh, they were apologizing to everyone. They were so slow. And I knew it was going to be bad when I saw the line. And I should have stopped thought, anyway. And I, yeah, because, because I'm fundamentally stupid. I was going to say, wait, why, would, why would you? There's literally like nine taco trucks near the Taco Bell over they here. They were probably close. It was late. I mean, That's true. It, was it was almost nine. Late. It was almost nine. And by the time I got my tacos, it was almost 9.30. So anyway. Yeah. I was asleep by then. You were. Te- you were. Te- I just got home and made some pizza rolls, but I didn't do it. Are right. they taco pizza rolls? No, they're whatever. They're not normal. I don't have tostino. I don't buy fancy pizza rolls. I buy cheap ones. <laughs> they come in one flavor. Mm, pizza best roll. choice pizza rolls. Yeah, basically, basically. So the um, so in terms of the two point kits, uh, now we know from years ago before all the controversy with the Big Lebowski and their inability to keep their promises. Dutch Pinball had Bride of Pinbot 2.0. That's and what put them on the map. Didn't they also announce a 3.0 at one point? We don't. <laughs> yes. And we don't talk about 3.0. We don't talk about that. I don't remember what episode it was. All I can say is if you go back, Tony was not kind about it. I, was, I remember that. You were very not kind. The biggest thing I remember about Bride of Pinbot 3.0 was, and, and apologies to whoever worked on it, but the art was horrific. <laughs> horrific. Uh, it was, yeah. I mean, horrific. It was like, why would you do this? <laughs> it's it's like that thing where the per, where, where the person tried to repaint. Like, I'll do a I'll do a, a restoration on this costume. <laughs> Next thing you know, they just hit it with a smear tool. So for a long time, that was the 2.0 kit that people knew. Right, was probably a pinball. And I, I you know, I think there there. And it's really liked. I- I've played it before. I still think Bride of Pinbot's not that good of a layout, so I don't know if you can really save it with code, but it did give you a lot more to do. And there was hopes at the time that maybe Dutch would focus on doing more 2.0 kits. Well, they aren't, but others are. So the one that people have been talking about for a while now is the Funhouse 2.0, which is being done by Padretti. It's doing the build on that, which is an Italian manufacturer. But that Funhouse 2.0, Rudy's Nightmare. That's the, I don't know if you've seen anything on it. That's the one where they have a picture of the hot dog and he's got mayonnaise on it. That's how, this is how I I always explain the game to people, which I'm sure is completely unfair, but it's, it's my show. I can do what I want. It's, 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 it's already, it's Funhouse 2.0. It's because it's like a hot dog. So my interest level is already not very. I like, like to me. Funhouse is a way better game than Bride, and both of them used that new WPC board set. They're not DMD games, but they weren't System 11. They moved to the right. next board set. And so I always thought that's why it was, why they had the potential to like give it a DMD and do all that. So anyway, it's been getting, it has some gameplay out now. I, I've not seen it. Um, like I've not gone and watched it yet, but I've, I've been hearing good things for, from Funhouse fans. So, so there's that 2.0. Now, in addition, there's now been news that a Tales of the Arabian Nights 2.0 kit's coming out. Not by Dutch and not by Padretti. This is one, this one's being done by Mirko Playfields. And I have a link in the show notes to Nap Arcade's coverage of this. Now, on Penn's side, this one's getting raked over the coals. Not because of the 2.0 kit, mostly. Mostly it's because Mirko's who does Jersey Jack's playfields, which are chipping and pooling and falling. I mean, right. we remember the Wonkon location that looked yeah. like it had it had been maybe put five thousand plays on it. 
because it has all sorts of stuff going on. People are mad. So part of the that is people are mad that Mirko is in this thread promoting this game that they're doing, and he's not addressing any of the stuff about the playfields. And incidentally, there's going to be a seminar with Mirko at Texas Pinball Festival, I assume, solely to talk about this and not talk about playfield issues. Well, that could be an interesting one. It could be. Let's see, we'll let's see, see how that Q&A goes. Well, yeah, well, will anyone say anything? Will they photograph him from behind? <laughs> like what happened with Kevin Kulik? You never know what the, what cutting-edge things people will do from Pennside. Um, so that's most of it. However, there was someone who went in who took issue with the entire project because it uses FAST. FAST is one of those like homebrew frameworks. That's what Fathom 2.0 is using, is FAST. Okay. Well, I guess... As near as I could tell from the discussion in that, as much as I could call it a discussion, it was almost a rant, really. Uh, this person was just furious that I guess the homebrewer had been on the, the P-Rock forums and he was saying this guy's unethical because he's moved it to fast to make money. Now, my understanding, uh, the Bally Williams pinball mm-hmm. licenses are controlled by PPS or Planetary Pinball Supply. Uh-huh. My understanding is PPS is mandating that these kits use fast because there's probably some licensor deal where they get a kickback every time a fast board is sold or something. Okay. I don't know how much of this is like a circle the wagons fanboy thing and how much of this is that it truly was unethical because there weren't a lot of other people piling on the decision to shift to fast. But I also don't understand what happened on the forums and how much help came. The I get the argument though. If, all these people involved with P-Rock helped with the development, but it now moved to another board set. And I, I don't know what the is the message and you didn't sell it on the because it wasn't ever a P3 module. So it's not it's separate from that. I don't I don't know. Like there's I mean, but the thing is, is if, if it's it required by the holder, the license holder to be on a fast, then it could have never been on the other system. They could have never made it. It would have just right, never been, been commercial. Yeah. And this person's argument might be, then it should have just stayed homebrew. It was, it was difficult for me to follow because I don't know the context, like how much assistance was right. rendered and how many, it sounds like this was going on for years. I hadn't heard anything come out of Multimorphic. Like they thought that this was like, wasn't a fair play or something. I, but I don't know. I mean, cause it might, it could look bad if a company were to say, well, this is kind of, not nice, and then you look like you're trying to stomp out some right. person's chance to finally have something go commercial. I mean, so few homebrew things get to go commercial that do you really want to take the pillow and smother it in bed? Yes, uh, yes, they do. I, I, Certain people do. It's it's literally right. the type of but, thing they but, wake but up I, for. But I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss that there. One could have a fair ethical concern here, and I don't want to just over because I don't know how much. Like, if you did have but, a whole other company helping you, and then you walked away from them, I but was there a contract, the, or were you just oh, on forums not, and people but, were talking to you and helping? Yeah, that's if it. I, I mean, I mean, it, yeah, no, if I don't finish something after getting people helping talk me through it, that does that mean that there's an issue with them? Uh, look, I it's weird. It, I, I could see it a, a variety of ways. My my thought, or let's not even go with my thought. My thought doesn't matter because I'm not buying this. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> buying any of these kits. So based off of the thread, most people were, did not care at all where the homebrewer 
started the development and where they finished the development in terms of which board got used. Like, I'm going to say no one cares. Someone cares. Most people don't seem to care. What they do care about is that why is this deal with Mirko? And why is Mirko doing the production? And they care that Mirko's making money. They may not care that PPS is making money. They may not care that Fast is making money. They care that Mirko's making money and they don't like it because they don't like the idea that Mirko has been, in the, a lot of people's view, getting away with impunity at turning out garbage playfields. And here's another thing. And people will buy it because it's the only source. Right. And, but what it does beg the question why I want to have this discussion because I don't, I, I also don't really care whether or not Mirko makes money. Like, to me, Whatever's going on with the playfields with Jersey Jack, that is a Jersey Jack problem to solve. Correct. If it's Mirko's fault, JJP needs to make Mirko fix it. It's not our job to worry about Mirko screwing it up. Now, if you're ordering repo playfields from Mirko and they're garbage, that's another matter. But it's the manufacturer's response. I don't buy the game from Mirko. I don't, GNR does not come from Mirko, it comes from JJP. It's JJP's job to address it. That's how I see it. Right. So, but this, what in the heck is going on, Tony, with the 2.0 kits? Every, it's, every single one is, I guess, licensed by PPS, and every single one is by a different manufacturer. It's weird. I'm not saying they're all named 2.0, but that's how they're all seen. So Dutch, Bride, Padretti, Funhouse, Mirko, Totan. Mm-hmm. And, oh, incidentally, there's another one. Also, I have a link to Nap Arcade. Oh, oh God, we're practically the Nap Arcade podcast. So I'm linking to him so much. But he's <laughs> who's covering all the news now. Um, so link in the show notes to this. There's a Whirlwind 2.0. I guess it was at a show. I don't know. It was the Louisville show. I don't remember from the article. But um, but it was shown off recently. DMD version of Whirlwind. So, hey, you can do you can do System 11s. Or you could think about doing System 11s. According to a thread on Pennside, in fact, I think it's the same thread as talking about the Mirko Totan one. Uh, Planetary Pinball Supply purportedly has sent a cease and desist letter to the developer of the Whirlwind 2.0 project. Interesting. Now, so, and if I remember what Knapp said, it's the person who, who developed it, I believe, is the one who has the handle Apple Juice on Pinside, who was the coder behind Magic Girl. Who got stiffed on all that work. Right. And never got his, you know, obviously he never got his working game. He never got one of the ones that got made by American Pinball either, though. Uh, at least not given to him like his contract said. So anyway, poor, poor Apple Juice. Uh, but I mean, yeah. So yeah, the, the report on that is okay. Well, I, and I don't know what board set fast, P Rock, something else was used for Whirlwind, but the idea is. Okay, this has been done as a at least so far as a homebrew, but PPS doesn't like doesn't like it and is sending a message. And I don't know how legal the cease and desist is. Like, right. I'm not saying it's illegal to send the cease and desist. I'm saying I'm not sure, given its status as a single game that someone has developed, I'm not sure he can actually stop its development if it remains a non-commercial project. But my guess is that this is PPS trying to say, you know, you're going to come to us. If you're wanting to actually sell these kits. Right. Now, whether or not that's true gets more nebulous because it depends on what assets are used, what's shown on the screen. And so it's sort of like when I did my, uh, my chat H code for Jurassic Park Data East, you never downloaded the code 
for the for the pinball machine. You had to download Chad H's unique developed code. You then had to get a Data East ROM from Data East, which was freely available. And then you had to use a program and merge them together. And I assume that was to keep it completely legal so that he was not selling Data East code. Well, he wasn't selling this stuff at all, but it was to keep it right. like totally separate. It was super smart. So again, depending on what assets are unique to this and, and what it is as a kit, there may not be anything to actually warrant a legal cease and desist, but they have chilling effect. Sending a C and D yeah. has a chilling effect. So anyway, so those are, but I'm still going to count it. So we've got Bride, Totan, Funhouse, and Whirlwind, all in various stages of develop and in at least three of them, commercial monetization. What do you think of all these 2.0? Pro- like, I see, I'm not, I don't know about the commercial monetization part of it. I can see where some people would really like it. I think it's a great idea in a lot of ways. The thought of taking a classic game and just kicking it up a little with the light, with, you know, light changes, sound changes, stuff like that is really attractive to me. So I, I like the thoughts of a lot of these projects. It's just, with the when it comes to licensing and everything, it could be a pretty hefty issue when it when you're looking at the backside and trying to actually sell kits to other people. Where if you're just working on a special project for just yourself, just to modify your own personal whatever, that could be. I mean, to me, that's just that's no different than swapping engines in your car or doing or getting a different paint job or something. That's just that's modifying your own thing. If you're not, as long as you're not selling it, it's not a Big deal. Yeah, and I mean, they're kind of neat, the 2.0 kits idea. It's not something I've ever really thought, like, me commercially about. All these games, there are only a finite number of them available, obviously. And all these games are expensive. Like, what's the cheapest one? Bride, maybe? I don't know. I haven't priced them in a while. Funhouses have been going way up. I think before even this project was announced, Totan's always been super expensive. And Whirlwind, I think, is the most expensive System 11. It was, the, I believe, the last one they did. So, uh, and for a lot of people, it is the best one. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with the idea. I just, especially when I look at like the, the sniping about the, the projects and stuff and the cease and desists and stuff. I'm like, I don't know if there's really enough money on the table with all of these to get this worked up about it all. It seems a little, like, we're not talking millions here. No, but I think you'd be surprised with how willing people are to throw money at stuff like this. Mm. But learning about the, the most interesting thing to me was actually learning about the PPS relationship with Fast and whatever deal they've made and then mandating all this stuff coming out of it. This explains why Haggis shifted to Fast for Fathom Revisited. You're right. It does. Because they were using uh, P3 Rock. For Celts. And it's like, why would you... Uh, and I talked to someone I know who, who develops on uh, on the multimorphic stuff. And I was like, why would they... Like, why would they shift to fast? Like, is there a... Honestly, I thought maybe the fast boards were just cheaper. I, I But I never priced it. Like, I don't know which, how much you pay when you get them in bulk. Because... And my reason for that was only because... That's what Ben Heck in an interview had indicated why Spooky switched to his Pinatar board. That was to save money. But that's not a third-party board. He developed it. It's not turning to a different third-party, you know, like going from one third-party to another. Same thing with American Pinball. I believe they're still using P3 Rock, but they have indicated again in interviews that their intent is to go to their own boards. 
Well, Aimtron owns them. There's the you know brother company or parent company. I think they flat out own them now. They make boards, so it makes sense. Like those right. make sense when you have first party capability. It makes sense. I I don't know why someone would have moved from a multimorphic board set to fast unless there was like tremendous savings. But now it makes sense because like oh wait. They had to make the deal with PPS to get Fathom as a license. Right. And the same for all the rest. So if they're saying, okay, if you're doing all this stuff, you're going to use fast. That explains it. Anyway, that so that was the most interesting part to me. All right, we've, we're through all the main news stuff. So we just have a couple other items before we go on to our very, very meaty video game section. Uh, first is, as we noted, Texas Pinball Festival. We are getting ready to go do that. We're less than a week away, Tony. I'm ready. You're ready. I just need a. I just need another break from from life. It's been six months. It's been eighty four. It's, it's, it's been six months, and it's like I, I don't. Normally, shut down. I'm like I, normally. I feel like I can go like a year between vacations, but it's just I'm just it. It, it is uh, com- yeah. let combined with legislative uh, work, which is never a high point of my job, and I've just had so many meetings. Anyway, I'm not going to whine about it all. It's just it's just been. A lot of stuff, and I'm just sick of dealing with all of it. <laughs> I just want it to be done with. But I can't wait that long, so we're just going to take the case. Just take a little break. Yeah. Just take a little yeah, break. This is not the ideal time. I, ideally, for me, TPF would have been two weeks later in April when there is no... We don't... Our legislature's on break in April. So, right. But that's not how life works, and <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing this, and my board didn't object, so... That that yeah. works. I mean, so, I'm, yeah. I, I'm ready. I've got... I got I downloaded 20 hours of sea shanties for us. Yay! So, well, <laughs> yeah. so when the book's audiobook's over, sea shanties the rest of the way. So, for those that that listen and and want to talk to us, we're pretty easy to engage with. We're usually just walking around somewhere at the event. Uh, so just, but just for some information, Tony and I will get in on Thursday. Uh, we've done this ever since the first TPF, where we got yes. in on Friday, and we were so exhausted from the drive that we didn't want to play pinball the yeah. first day. So we get in Thursday and so we'll be there through Sunday in terms of uh, swag. So Tony, when Tony got here this morning, I was watching TV separating stickers. I have EGP stickers that we'll be able to hand out and we should have lapel pins. Mm-hmm. Or I call them lapel pins. They're la- yeah. Yeah. Pins. People like them pins. I hope they turned out as the image showed. So they're supposed to arrive tomorrow. So Tony and I have not gotten to look at them, but I've ordered a hundred. So I'll bring some of those and we'll see how it pin. goes. Yeah. So I don't really have a lot of uh, TPS swag. I think I might have a few stickers uh, that Zach sent me uh, a couple months ago uh, for that. But, but EGP stuff that should be okay. Nothing super fancy. I don't think I want to bring the mouse pads. I still have a bunch. I still have mouse. mouse pads. I still have mouse pads because they were so cheap to get. Well, um, we had. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think I have any magnets left. I oh, there we go. I do have magnets. You do have some magnets. Yeah, left. Yeah, I do have fridge magnets because I, I had a few. Those. I had a few. I think left. they're under the mouse pads, so I didn't see them. When I opened, <laughs> but I know I have a bunch still. So we'll have, we'll have some stuff. That's nice. We'll have some stuff. The final thing I wanted to talk about before uh, moving on to video games was just because when we were at our pinball tournament yesterday, one of the items that came up, at least with a small group I was talking to, was about just how good games have gotten lately. And actually, we were talking about Stern games. Right. You know, to be to be Let's, blunt. To be well, blunt. there are no other games lately. There has been no <laughs> right. other games but, lately. But we were thinking comprehensively, you know, it's like what's really stood out since them bringing Elwin on board, but 
a lot of this about just how good the rules have gotten that how rare it seems to be to have a true total hot garbage layout, that sort of thing. And so one of the things I thought would be interesting for us to do would have been to go over with the pin side top 10, which is not perfect, but an, an interesting metric. It's a metric. We use it for a lot of stuff. Yeah. About what's in there. Cause I, what I remember when we were having our conversation was I knew that the pin side top 10 has very much become more modern now. Whereas for a long time, I felt even when really good games were coming out from like a rules and gameplay perspective, those 90s Williams games were like holding on tight, like bet down like a <laughs> rabid dog, not not willing to let go. And it's sort of like, what I thought about was, wait a moment, let's check the Wayback Machine. And so I did. So let's actually pull some figures in. Because when I first got into pinball, that's like 2012, the Pinside Top, 10 was like all Bally Williams, all DMD, with the exception of like Lord of the Rings, and I think maybe Simpsons Pinball Party were also in the top 10. So you had two kind of modern Sterns. I say kind of because they were all pre 2010. Of course, I was that was right. much past 2010. It just feels that way now because <laughs> I'm old. But um, but everything was just really, really Bally Williams, and they just held on super tight. So let, let's go ahead real quick and and say. In terms of the current top 10, and we're doing this on March 20th, 2022, here's what they are. Number one, Godzilla. Number two, Rush. I think that's only up there because of uh, recency bias. But, yeah, I think but, so too. But, but we'll see. Uh, three, Medieval Madness. Four, Attack from Mars. Five, Deadpool. Six, Jurassic Park Stern. Seven, Iron Maiden Legacy of the Beast. Eight, Elvira House of Horrors. Nine, Monster Bash. Ten. JJP's Guns N' Roses. So, there are only three 90s games in there. Medieval Madness, Attack from Mars, Monster Bash. Also interesting to me, there are three Keith Elwin games in there. Godzilla, Jurassic Park, and Iron Maiden. His uh, his only game that is not in the top 10 is Avengers, which is at 15th. Yeah. Overall, I mean, I don't agree with all of these as top 10 games. I but, definitely don't agree with all of these as top 10 but, games. But as we see, these are all really, really modern. I mean, when you set aside those three, this not only are these modern, like these are all like after 2015 modern, right? I mean, when's Iron? Iron Man was 2018. Was Is that the oldest one? Because Guns N' Roses was 2020. Uh, Elvira was 2019. Jurassic Park was 2019. Deadpool was 2018. Uh, which is the same as Iron Maiden, uh, Rush is this year, 2022, and Godzilla was last year, 2021. So yeah, tw- all this stuff, not counting the Bally Williams stuff, is 2018 or newer. And while we see games get in the top 10 with the recency bias thing, that usually sorts itself out over like a month or two. Right. Like like, like uh, Halloween was, uh, you know, I don't know if Halloween was, but a Heist at one point was in there. Uh, that's why I think Rush, I don't... Rush may stay top 10. I just don't think it'll stay at number two. That's just a guess, though. The rules are pretty popular, so we'll see. But So now let's go back. But let's not go back to when I first got in the hobby. We're going to go back to December 2016, because that was one of the Wayback Machine snapshots. Here's what they were then. Number one, Medieval Madness. Number two, Twilight Zone. Number three, Monster Bash. Number four, Attack from Mars. Number five, Lord of the Rings. Number six, Adam's Family. Number seven, Metallica. Number eight, 
Indiana Jones, the pinball adventure. Number nine. This was before they combined all the, the game types. Metallica Pro. The first one was Premium Elite. And number 10, ACDC Premium Elite. So that is six Bally Williams games. So it was right. over half. And this was when we were starting to see good game, good games come out of start. I mean, Metallica, all-time classic, ACDC, all-time oh, classic. Yeah. Interestingly, those aren't top 10 worthy anymore, according to the current top 10. But they're still thought of very fondly right. by people. And you have stuff that obviously that, that fell out. I mean, Twilight Zone. I mean, and I was joking with a, with one of our area players named Jason, uh, cause he knows I don't like Twilight Zone. I've always thought it was exceedingly overrated. And I can, I look back at this. I'm like, holy crap. I do. I'd say I can't believe this, but I remember when Twilight Zone was top three. And I was just like, why? Or our Adams family, two shot game. Why? Because it was the game everybody knew. Nostalgia. It uh, was the game everybody knew. Yeah. So, I mean, so what are your, do you think that the current top 10 is more accurate than like this 2016 top 10? What are your thoughts just on what's, what is best anymore? Tell I, me, Conan, what is best? <laughs> what is best in life? It's, I, I, I do honestly, I think we're getting past the point where the nostalgia and the bias of the past is starting to be overridden and there, and people will acknowledge there are good new games because I've met, I've met pinheads that don't acknowledge that there has been a good game made since, you know, 2000. Uh, I mean, they're out there. I've, I've spoken with them and there's a lot of people that held that view for a long time. And I think it's definitely drifted away and we're definitely at a place where modern games can stand out and can be, considered up there with the older games i don't think it makes the older games less i think that they have a very different feel i think the feel of a modern game and the feel of like a 90s game and the feel of an 80s game are all very different Mm -hmm. Uh, i think they all kind of reflect the uh their their time frame and the way people played at that point in time yeah that's a good point and and one of the ways, uh, I won't say that the top 10 is, is necessarily all defined by this, but what it reminds me of is when I first got in the hobby, one of the biggest complaints I knew that I knew people had with Stern versus Bally Williams was the flipper feel. Right. There were a lot of people there that would say, I really like how Bally Williams flippers feel, and I don't like as much how the Sterns feel. Like feel too snappy. They're like too powerful. It's flipped now. Now, practically everyone I know, and myself included, actually, I was always like this. I love the snappier feel of what Data East did with their flippers and Stern Mm -hmm. currently does with their flippers. But anyway, now I hear people compare everything to Stern's flippers. And uh, Coil stops getting shredded aside that you almost immediately need to replace in some games. People tend to say, I like how Stern flippers feel. And they get more annoyed with like the Jersey Jack flippers. Because uh, they feel mushy or American pinball, same sort of thing. Like, right. And they're not necessarily mushy flippers. It's just a different, when you're like using Bally Williams Max, they're going to feel like Bally Williams flippers. And they didn't have the same style. They didn't have the same feel. But so many people have played Stearns now that it's like, it's not how it was where when I first got in, and even though we saw more companies like Jersey Jack coming into play and stuff, it was a lot of people 
came at the hobby from their experiences in the 90s and everything was compared to that golden age. And we finally, it seems, reached enough production, demand, interest, whatever, that we're in a new golden age. Even if the production isn't as high as it was in the 90s. Right. We are now in a new resurgence and so many people have played the new games. It's not people coming around all the time remembering the old games. It's the people that come in going, oh, okay, let me try this Adams Family. Oh, well, what's your past experience? Oh, well, I played Rush and GNR. Yeah. They're seeing a lot of people who don't have the experience from the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. They never had it. That For them, pinball now is, this is their first taste of pinball. Now, let me kind of... Ass- Aside, because this is it's true across both of the top 10 snapshots we looked at, but let me contextualize it more specifically for you. Do you still think Attack from Mars is the greatest pinball machine that has ever been made? Uh, right this second. Yes, because that's the second we're recording in. Yes. <gasps> but I will be honest, there are a couple games out there that the more I play them, the more if I was given the choice between the two, I would take them. Right, so. of Pinbot 2.0? No. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, I mean, I mean. There's no hit. It, it, I really, really love Godzilla. It is a game that I can sit down and play continuously. I love that game, and I would. I mean, it's a game that has a definite ability to me to take Attack from Mars from my favorite spot, mm. because Attack from Mars is a game that I consider a lot of fun. With a lot of fun callouts, combined with a theme that I find very enjoyable and hilarious, and Godzilla is the exact same thing. And as I get more playtime on it, ah, I really enjoy the gameplay mm. a lot. So, and it, and it takes the other, and that's the thing is not a lot of games tick all the boxes with me where I consider them fun gameplay and i consider them wonderful uh themes and i i really enjoy their art and their call outs most things have something missing for me personally on one of those things both of those games hit every single one of those boxes for me so yeah okay well that's it for the pinball section that's all i had we had a lot apparently According yeah. to the record time. So, well, we can segue to the video game section where we'll, mm-hmm. where we can open with pinball news on the video game section. Yeah. The pinball FX. We've not talked about them. We've not talked about video pinball in a while. Uh, but they have put out a new table. <gasps> wow. And there's, they're getting some pushback on it. What? No. They have put out the Indiana Jones, the pinball adventure. Yay. Pretty popular. That was in that yeah. 2016 top 10 Popular list. Game. A lot of people like it, but they're getting some pushback because they're pricing just that table alone at $15. Hmm. That's pretty high for one table DLC. Yeah. <laughs> in my no, view. Right. Well, my no, view. well, the thing is, is they put out a lot of tables. Normally, they'll put out like three tables. Yeah, usually a three pack. Like ten pa- for ten. Like ten bucks. Yeah. So it's for a single table at $15. They're getting a little pushback and some... Some uh, uh, A table that required no creativity on their part because it right. already was designed. Exactly. My assumption it has to do with licensing mm. is why. Okay. Well, you know, historically, when Pinball Arcade had all the Williams stuff, they had to do all those Kickstarters to get like T2 and stuff because right. they couldn't afford the, the licensing. 
Uh-huh. And and my guess is that's what that was. Uh, we did have a whole bunch of emails. I just wanted to do that crossover to the. That th- was a good crossover because yeah. it no, crosses over I very know, well. First, I know you you never misread the one note like me where I skip lines. Oh yeah, I've never done that except for like all the time. No, so. no, 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 never. So. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Write in and complain about that. I think that Emperor was a 7 out of 10, but write in and collect your gamers podcast at gmail.com if you think it was a 6 out of 10. The, um, so yes, we did have a few emails. Uh, one was, uh, Chris Chandler. He's written in a number of times. Former Deep Root correspondent for the Pinball Show, if you did not know. And you wouldn't, because you never listened to the Pinball Show. The, um. There's a Pinball Show? There is. And there's also one that Zen does on YouTube called the Pinball Show. Ooh. And when you search in Google, Zen's pops up first. Guess we just aren't that good. Um, so anyway, he emailed uh, one email. He emailed a couple of times, but one of them was denoting that the PC version of Resident Evil. Have you played Resident Evil 8 yet? No. Okay. Well, apparently there's a mod for the PC version and you can change it so that all of the zombies in the game become Barney dinosaurs. And I've included a picture that he sent us. <laughs> and I do agree. It is horrific it is it is horrifying because <laughs> it it's, it's so dark but they're like throwing their heads back and stuff and their teeth are there and the- I, that is one of the things that i love about gaming on the pc is the modding communities mm-hmm. and all of the mods you can like the skyrim mod that changes all of the dragons to thomas the tank engine <laughs> is just hilarious <laughs> and, and and there are just amazing mods. There are Fallout mods that do amazing things, but this is horrifying. This is this is so. I mean, there's there's awesome mods. There's scary mods. There's like mods that change the game completely. This is all of that. It is awesome. It's an awesome idea. It is horrifying, and the only uh yeah yeah. yeah. It is that wow. that doesn't remind me. I don't remember my very first mod I ever did. The one I remember the most vividly was uh, back in the '90s, and we would have land parties, and we would play uh, group games of Warcraft Two. Yes, I changed a few of my sound files out, and one of the ones I changed <laughs> to was every time a boat sank, it would go glug 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 glug. <laughs> <laughs> Right in if my like, glug glug glugs didn't sound appropriately like an actual bathroom drain glugging. But, uh, that's basically what I what I did. Uh, I made a few other ones a little bit different. But um, another email, Blueberry Johnson. He's most famous on Pinside for being the Deep Root Super Sleuth. That's his official title, I think. Uh, but he did write to us saying that he's a big fan of a roguelike called w- Wazhack. And asked if we were familiar with it. I am not, but I thought I'd bring it up. I'm not, but from the email, I actually looked it up, and it looks pretty cool. But I've not had a chance to play it as of yet. Okay. So I'm going to give it a shot. It's on my. I threw it on my wish list, and I'm going to grab it. And I just haven't had a chance yet. Mm-hmm. We had another email. This one from a Michael W. who wrote to us uh, asking about Divinity: Original Sin Two, and if either of us had played it or had any thoughts on it. I have not played it, but I do remember hearing about it when it came out. It, it was on consoles as well, but I never looked further into it. It never caught my eye. I never played any of the Divinity okay. games. Yeah, and I, I don't think I played the first one either. Uh, probably why I had no interest in the second. Because uh, it didn't leave a bad taste. Like, it wasn't one of those where I was like, oh yeah, no, I tried that and I don't want to play anymore uh, in this series. <laughs> um, then Ben M. wrote into us and... 
Uh, he wanted to, he brought up a past discussion we had about loot boxes. And this is the portion of the email that he wrote, but I thought I, I'd read it out here. Yep. <clears throat> Trading cards aren't gambling per se because you have the ability to trade for what you want. Let's take pinball for a moment. Are mystery awards considered loot boxish? Is there an amount of skill that is involved in procuring a result? The defense of mystery scores is that players have to change and adapt their strategy based on said result. Could the same be said of loot boxes? If the box was gained through skill or by purchase, does the resulting strategy still stay the same or does it change? Gambling is a percentage of winning or not. The assessment is correct, made by ESRB. Gambling is the complete chance of winning or not. But in this case, you are still getting something. So he wrote it in a way, uh, it wasn't really clear to me initially, but I think going back and, and re- re-reviewing his email, my sense is he was pushing up back on us a little bit on our loot box conversation because right. to him, it's not gambling if you get something out of it. And every time you open a box, you get something. It just might not be the something you wanted. Right. And I can see the argument. Uh, I know, as I recall, there are several... Uh, uh, political bodies that are counting it as gambling um, across the world uh, and they're modifying laws to make it qualify as right. as gambling. Um, but I can see the argument that it's not gambling because you are receiving something. Uh, I think the bigger concern is that it's more predatory, uh, especially uh, those games where it is uh, hitting younger, so kids are you know spending lots of money, not money they don't necessarily have, or stealing mom and dad's credit cards to do the, which is a whole other set of issues. Uh, I'm not a fan. I'm, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I I don't like loot box. I don't like my my, my and I I mean my wife and kids they love those little mystery pack box things where oh there's a bunch of stuff in here and one of them might be. The specific little fun, cute thing I I, I hate stuff like that. I just mm. it's uh, one of those things I I I would be more okay with them just having a cash shop where it's like I want this gun and you can buy that gun. Yes, uh, when it and the way I would describe from my perspective is and I, I yeah I get where he's coming from and he does have a point, but I think the even if it's I mean. There's still an addiction angle we see with some of it, and and I'll explain it. I'll explain it a little bit differently. But, but first, let me go through my my thought. I'm okay with loot boxes if they're cosmetic. Like I don't. I mean, I don't love them, but it doesn't offend me. Like Overwatch letting you loot box for skins and sprays, right? Whatever. It doesn't impact the gameplay. Where I have a problem is where it impacts the gameplay. One of the biggest games in the world right now is Genshin Impact. Yes. People who have the best stuff are whales. And only whales, because you have a statistical chance of getting a particular character or a particular weapon. And if you don't get one, if you don't get what you needed, if you get a dupe, it doesn't have nearly the value as getting the new thing you wanted. Right. And so the example case in point I would give with someone, I read this, this was on Reddit. I read this probably last year at some point. It was a phone game. And they were playing and they loved the they loved the game, they loved the theme. And it worked on this loot crate sort of thing. Every time they would do a draw where they, they'd spend their money, yeah, they'd get something. So you could say, okay, well, it's not gambling. They're getting something. But it'd be a special event. There's one new character with a special event. 
And you're told the odds of getting that character. Be like, oh yeah, you have a like a one in ten chance of getting the character. And this person, because gambling people can have an addiction to it, would do these draws. And what started as a yeah, he spent you know ten or twenty bucks, and then he spent a few hundred, and then he didn't get a character he really needed, and he found the next thing he knew, he spent fifteen hundred dollars drawing, and finally got that character. And then later they needed the complimentary person. Obviously. Uh, and the next thing, he was $20,000 in debt to a to a phone game. Right. Now, that's the issue, because those characters impacted gameplay. Yes. It wasn't just the, oh yeah, I'm trying to get the pretty, pretty outfit. It was, this character will make my life easier, or I can't progress in the game with my current characters. I tried. You need these characters to win if you want to be at the top end. That's what this stuff does. This is where the blowback on things like Battlefront 2 came from. It wasn't being able to put a weird costume on Vader. It was to have Vader, period. Right. And to open a crate and get a stormtrooper. Okay. Yeah, you did get something. But it's that's not the... They know why people keep paying. It's to get the main item. That's the problem. Right. And, and, and I agree with that. And anything in my mind that affects gameplay... Be it a game where you get XP boosts or where you can buy better stuff. Uh, case in point, uh, World of Tanks, gold ammo. Spend real money on gold ammo has better penetration, better damage stats than anything else you can get in the game. Mm-hmm. So when you're having problems with something, you flip over to your gold ammo and ram some gold into it. Uh, and it, so you're literally smashing the, the your opponent down with cash. You're yeah. killing them with cash. And, and that's a, that any game where you get a bonus by spending actual money, I have a problem with. That yeah. doesn't mean the games are necessarily bad or the games aren't fun. I just don't like it. And it gets really bad because some games, like you were talking about, take it to the point where if you do not spend money, you cannot get any better. You cannot advance. You have no choice. In, in, in some of the games, Spending money makes it easier, but it doesn't make it impossible to go farther. Right. And in terms of Ben's comparison to uh, Mystery Wards in Pinball, I do agree. They are loot box-ish, except once you're in a game, you can shoot the mystery shot as much as you want, and you don't have to put more coins in the coin box. Right. That's one thing. And second, even all the way back to the 90s, you could go in and configure a number of these games. So for competitive play to standardize or turn off the mystery feature. So like Attack from Mars, the most common code people have is where you only get the, you only get points. So you light the thing and the loot boxes, it becomes what you've said, the thing in the shop you pay for. You earn the thing, you get the 25 million points or whatever. Or some of the other strategies are every time the, you get something different, but it's all tiered and sequential. And that's how competitive players want it because no, it isn't fair to have the same shot be worth more for one person than another if they didn't do anything special. Right. Oh, can you imagine a pump and dump tournament where you can go through and as you put while while you are actively playing, you can plunge more quarters into the machine to get various bonuses and get to choose it's like, oh, I'm doing real good. I need quadruple playfield score. Drop a quick yeah. 50 cents in the or machine. Or all those all those put in the extra money super pins that Williams did. Like yeah. when we're at at Todd's house we don't get to 
activate the buy-in feature and get one more ball but but it offers it to us yeah Uh, i mean even in that where people don't do the configurations it can be horribly unbalanced there's i remember one time we were doing the uh one of the things uh in a tournament we we've gone to before is there will everyone there can enter in and you play a game and the person who scores the lowest is eliminated and you go to yes. another game it's a really fun format i love the format but it we is don't recon- time consuming yeah it is and we don't but they don't go and reconfigure all the games for that so one time i went in and i hit the jackpot the progressive jackpot on taxi and it's like yeah i knew i wouldn't be eliminated yeah. the jackpot was then garbage after that i was like the third player to play it so I I had a I had an insta win based off of a a crate a mystery yeah well I mean it wasn't a mystery it was on the screen but you say it was progressive it shouldn't be same thing why when people have uh, Stern Jurassic Park uh, the topper multi ball mode is turned off competitively because you spell it out across multiple games and then it puts you in special goat mode right but, so anyway, yeah but thanks for writing in Ben those are our thoughts. Uh, we st- we ain't done yet, Tony. We're almost done. But so many emails. Yes, one more email. As I noted, Chris uh wrote in a second time, and he sent us an article, uh, which I do have linked in the show notes for people that want to read it, uh, regarding Studio Three Sixty Nine, which has generated fifteen million dollars in a private token and NFT sales for their mech game Metalcore, which I thought. I would bring up with you because I know you like mech games, though. You I do. But he, uh, Chris included this quote from the article in his email to us, which was, we are gamers ourselves and will deliver fun and rewarding gameplay in this new business model that integrates NFTs with proven game mechanics. Yay. It didn't say yay, but I'm adding that in. What are your thoughts on, on this? It's 15 million, Tony. This better I, be the best mech game ever. It, it, I do not. 15 million. I mean, holy cow! I, I I I still don't understand the whole NFT thing. Um, it's not something that I I I don't understand where people have this giant interest draw. But uh, I looked on like I don't every know. person's mech's going to be an NFT. The guns, I guess, are going to be NFT. Everything's an NFT. The boulder I'm going to hide behind is an NFT. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I mean, I, I just a hundred percent, I don't know. I, I don't understand the draw. I, I mean, is it gambling? Is this, this is the vibe I get from the crypto bros is it, I don't know anything about investing. I just know all this stuff is going up right now. So I'm going to throw money in it in hopes that I just make a bazillion dollars. I, you know, it could very well be just, and all because of that weird Bitcoin right. thing. Bitcoin was never. I mean, back when I, cause my, my brother-in-law was in, had Bitcoin like over a decade ago. Right. The whole idea, which I never was a huge fan of, but the whole idea was a non-fiat, non-government based currency, not something speculative. Right. It's supposed to be stable. Currency should be stable. That's, you don't want to invest and get stuck. And the thought was, what if you had money? What if your money was in the ruble right now? Right. It'd be in the rubble is what it would be. So. Some currencies like the US dollar are relatively stable, but the idea was if something, the government can manipulate the value of the dollar, like the Fed, by choosing what it does with interest rates. Right. And like if they allow inflation to run rampant, the dollar's value will go down. So the idea was a currency that the government couldn't meddle with, it all be on algorithms and stuff. And instead, we've got 
people who are scorched earthing the environment with all these farms, uh, you know, with these huge energy draws, <laughs> mining this stuff. I just, I don't get, anyway, I'm whining, but so yeah, that's my guess was just, it's all become like people saw what happened with like GameStop and stuff. And now they're like, well, maybe we can do that with NFTs too. Maybe. I mean, I can understand that the GameStop thing was a real stock. That one made, I mean, it was artificially inflated, but. It, but, but, right. All, but all's fair, all's fair with market manipulation. That was different. You understand <laughs> what's going on with that. Like, people can do an analysis and go, this is an overvalued stock and you know what you're getting into. I don't understand the valuation on NFT. I don't understand why it's they have any valuation product? at all. It's a digi product. You can't play it. I mean, in this you can, except the, why, why do they have to integrate it with proven gameplay mechanics? Why can't I just buy a game with proven gameplay mechanics? Because they wouldn't get as much money that way. So, I mean, fifteen million. This is going. I I see why so many companies now are like, let's just do this. Yeah, it's, and then not set up our Minecraft server and just go away with the money. Well, and they don't have. And, and if they're doing this, I mean, they don't have to go kickstart the Kickstarter. No, you don't. Route. You don't, don't have, have the have controversy to... of the Kickstarter and not making your deliverable deadlines. Right. Uh, you don't have the blowback of the well. How much DLC do I have to buy? You don't have the loot crates. I'm waiting for I'm Star Citizen to start NFTing everything in Star Citizen. <laughs> uh, I'd say don't give them any ideas, but I'm sure they've been thinking about it. <laughs> the, I think they're that. I bet you someone has out uh, has like blueprinted that out. If their typical fundraising strategies somehow stop making them money, right? Which so far has not been a problem. No. So, all right, you've got other stuff that isn't. I do. Us, thank yeah, just you, tell, everyone just, who emailed us. Yes, thank you very much. And I'm actually, I was asked. Uh, uh, by a couple of different people about some games I've talked about in the past. And I don't have this in the notes, but since we had so many emails, it came to mind. We really had a lot. Uh, um, I've been asked about uh, like Hardship or, uh, or yeah, Hard Space Shipbreaker, a game that I have talked about last year and some of the year before. Uh, it was an early access game that I was playing a fair amount of. And I was, someone was asking me about it and, and, I let them know and like might as well share with everybody else is just, I haven't touched it in a while. The game is all really fun, but they made, uh, they put out a new patch in December, but at the same time in very early January, they put out a note about it that they are planning to move out of early access and have the version 1.0 full game ready to go mm. this spring. So I decided I'm just going to wait. Uh, because when that goes active, the whole story will exist. Most of my playtime with the game was from before there was any story when it was just the mechanics. And then I played the patch that had some of the first part of the story and it was very enjoyable. So now I'm just going to wait until I play the whole story. But I've had a couple people asking about that and like, uh, satisfactory, satisfactory's had massive updates lately, tons and tons and tons of massive updates. And I've just not really, uh, uh, touched any of it. Because I was playing other games or doing other things. And Satisfactory is one of those games. Like I do with a lot of games. When I get involved, I get completely involved. And I play only one game for hours right. or days or weeks sometimes at a time. And I've just not slid back into it yet. So I've not tried any of the new stuff there. So uh, <clears throat> going into the actual news. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, New World. As you might recall, Amazon dropped New World back in the fall of last year, and it was a huge hit. And everybody was talking about how it's the new greatest MMO, and it's going to destroy all the other MMOs. And then after a month, it kind of went away. 
Uh, I had a message from Nick, uh, Solid State Pinball Supply mm-hmm. Nick, about uh, he asked me if I was playing New World because he he thought maybe one of us was from uh, from our prior coverage. And I said right. no, we talked about it extensively, we, but we, yeah, we talked about it because it got huge. So right, big, right. It, it blew up so big and it was well reviewed, but it as a lot of those things had had no defined end game and it dropped off and well. They put out a uh, big sense of, uh, or a big set of news talking about their plans for 2022. Mm. They are adding multiple uh, new end game events, uh, including one to close out the main storyline. They're adding new weapons. They're putting together 3v3 PvP arenas, uh, adding leaderboards. Uh, all sorts of new lesser content, not just end game content, but other, uh, standard content throughout the game. So we'll be interested to see if they can re-energize their player base. Because like a lot of these games that have a lot of hype real early, they just kind of fall off and sometimes they recover, but not, I'd say less than half. Will they recover? I don't know that they'll ever recover to where they were when they first launched, but they might come back into a pretty solid uh, gameplay state as long as they don't have any major issues. So it'll be interesting, though, to see, considering the hype and how many people already own the game now. Right, right. If they can make enough changes to bring people back. Because as you recall, we talked not that long ago, a few months ago, about how they were closing, how many servers they had to close down because their player base had dropped off so bad. Uh, Grand Turismo 7, getting great reviews for its actual car driving, racing stuff. Mm-hmm. But they had to do an emergency uh, maintenance. They they pushed a patch on Thursday and immediately had to go into an emergency maintenance because they found an issue when they pushed the patch that was like destroying people's saves. Oh, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last game we talked about that did save destruction? Was it Cyberpunk that had? I think some it was issue? Cyberpunk. Oh yeah, you it. could over it get too big, right? The save would get too big and it would corrupt. It would, That's what yeah. would happen. Well, th- this was, but in this situation, when they d- pushed the emergency repair to do it to and to protect people's saves, they brought the servers offline. Gran Turismo Seven is an always online game, mm. so for thirty hours. Nobody could play Gran Turismo 7 like the week it released. Ouch. Uh, which is one of those, hey, it, I understand. I think it was the right choice. But in this day and age, that translates into review bombing. Mm, it is that's not. Right. It, that's, it, what, that's what we do. That's what we, we do. We go, I'm going to bomb your review. We review bomb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are points where it was one of the lowest rated PlayStation games of all time. Oh, wow. Because... It was inaccessible for 30 hours. Uh, and this is the kind of problem you're going to get with the um, always online portion of games where they just kind of, you have to have a server connection to do anything. And that will be, we'll see how well they bounce back. I haven't played a Gran Turismo since Gran Turismo 2. It's a bit too real. Yes. It's like Forza. Motorsport versus Forza Horizon. Forza Horizon is an arcadey style. Forza Motorsport is super serious racing. Right. It's like like I've been playing SnowRunner. SnowRunner. Lots and lots and lots of fun. American Truck Simulator. No. 
Mm. European Trek Simulator. It, it's no, not, it, you no, don't know no. how to get the bre- second and yeah. third brake off it's, in it's, time with the steep grade and shift gear <laughs> properly. It's why I play Ace Combat, right, and Wingman, right. not Flight Simulator, but not DCS or Flight Simulator. There's a level in there that I want, and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't necessarily necessarily require me to build the cockpit of an airplane around me with physical switches. To fly the airplane. As interesting as it is, and as much as I actually love watching people play DCS, uh, there are some groups out there that put out a, do a lot of fun things with DCS, and, and they're a lot of fun to watch. The actuality of sitting there and, and watching someone do a 20-minute minute ground pre-flight startup to take off to play a game, I, I can't do it. I can't. I don't have the time. I don't. I, I, there's no way. So, uh Yeah. I mean, I've seen people real time DCS stuff where they're spending 15 hours playing a mission, doing mid air refuelings and literally flying. I've seen people do the same thing in Microsoft Flight Simulator where they literally do a cross country flight that's like eight hours and it's them sitting there for eight hours flying the airplane. Yep. In a straight line. And it's just <laughs> like, I can't do it. Great for you. I love your guys' ethic, but holy crap, I just can't. <laughs> um, Overwatch 2 is entering closed beta. Yes. I think this is surprised people. It, it, it surprised me. I figured we wouldn't see a closed beta for Overwatch 2 until mid-summer. But they have a limited closed beta um, that they are uh, taking signups for now. People can sign up for on the website. Um, the plan starting date is April 26th. Uh, what they've done is they've separated the PVP and PVE mode. It's so they can do the PVP, uh, and, and do the beta testing on the PVP. I'm assuming the PVE is the stuff that's really not done mm. because we know a version of this is what's going to be running the Overwatch League yeah, this year. Yeah, they've had to prioritize the PVP. Uh, because that's what they were saying. Um, it has been in alpha testing with pros and with uh, developers. Uh, there was a thing earlier this week where XQC yeah, uh, clicked, the, yeah. he clicked the wrong icon and accidentally loaded into, <laughs> into Overwatch 2 on stream. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, last time we heard, they still weren't planning on having Overwatch 2 out in 22. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I mean, it's made me interested in watching the league. It does. It, it's my my interest in league is higher now than it was, but I'm still not. I'm not that interested in Overwatch anymore. Mm. So, um, Elden Ring we talked about it last time. Just released was doing huge, twelve million sold in it's two massive. weeks. Yeah, that's that's massive. Uh, I've been talking to people. Who, who play it and some of the guys at work have played it and they enjoy it. And some of them are not souls games fans and they're enjoying it. So, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how big Elden Ring actually gets. They're already talking about the Elden Ring franchise, which is no surprise to anybody no. that not with sales, like this. not with you, sales like pretty this. much have to. Yeah. You'd be, if you ran a company and they're like, well, we sold 12 million, we should make another one. And you said, no, I think we're going to go on to something else. I'm pretty sure you'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Though apparently speedrunners already have any percentage runs down under 30 minutes. Yep. The fastest I've seen so far was 28 minutes. I didn't watch the speedrun. I've just seen the score because it's a game that I've heard enough people talk to me about that I have wishlisted it and I'm considering ah, it. Yeah. I, I just I have such a hard time overcoming that I'm just not a Souls game person. Right. And after my uh, experience with Sekiro, which I just... I didn't get in. I really struggle getting into Dark Souls too, and I just don't yeah. know if I can put myself through it again. So. Yeah, that's why I wishlisted it, but I'm not pulling the trigger because I just I cannot spend sixty bucks on a game that I think I might hate just because I hate right, that right. style of game. So it's just, so it's just there. Uh, Elite Dangerous. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm not skipping something in the notes. I'm just moving them around. Elite Dangerous had a problem last year when they released their newest DLC. They had to. Uh, push back the DLC launch on consoles while they concentrated on fixing all of the problems on PC. Mm-hmm. And um, they, there was a lot of ill will because of it because the uh, DLC was pushed out because the higher up said, put it out now, even though it was um, nowhere near done. What happened? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and they've been working on it and they've been fixing it. And it turns out that they've made the decision that instead of now going in and finishing, now that they've got the PC version working, instead of making it work for the consoles to push it out, they're just going to abandon consoles mm. completely. Not just the DLC. They're completely abandoning the game on consoles. They're not programming for consoles anymore. There will be no more updates to the consoles. Elite Dangerous is done on anything except for a PC. So, the I, I don't know. I know... PC is their primary play zone. I don't know how many people played on console, but that's kind of big to just yeah just chop off one whole section of the market. Uh, and the last thing I have is we might remember in 2020 there was the big the big to do uh, with Twitch where and Doctor Disrespect that they hired him exclusive, tons of money, and then perma banned him, and nobody knows why. Right. Well, last year, he apparently found out why, and he launched a lawsuit because of it. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing. I think we talked about that. We talked about, yeah, we talked about that, too. Uh, that lawsuit is now over. And the legal dispute uh, was settled with neither party admitting wrongdoing. And that's all we know about it. Yep. It, and, and that's probably all we ever will know about it. Have no clue what it was about. But they settled it. Nobody on the other side admits wrongdoing and they're walking away. So that's just an interesting end to that whole giant thing. Uh- <laughs> Sorry, I, I did that. I liked one of your Instagram things you sent me. <laughs> Dennis is just sitting here just like, trolling the grams yeah, while oh, I'm tired. I'm, yeah, I'm just ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh so it's interesting just to see how that changed. Uh, I'm like everybody. I think I'm curious what caused it because it was such an out of nowhere drop. I mean, I can understand getting rid of Doctor Disrespect because, quite frankly, I've never liked him. I think he's one of those people that personify the bad streamer. Mm. I think he's one of those that gives the streamers bad names. Um, but he's hugely popular, and a lot of those type of streamers are hugely popular. XQC. XQC, for example, uh, I don't follow or watch any of those streamers because, like I said, I, I'm not fans of that that kind of streaming. But 
it is for them to have put so much money in and then immediately perma band with no word other than just it's over is weird. Uh, and just the curious part of me wants to know what in the crap that was. I kind of like to know what the settlement was. Yep, it would but, be. It would be nice to know, but but since it was settled, that means it's not. There's not going to be any open court records or anything like that that can be seen. Yep, they probably so, NDA them. Each I'm other sure too. they were. I'm sure they're both NDA'd. So, but that's where we are. That's the the quick little video game tidbit this time around. Other than that, for those of you going to TPF. I can't wait to see you. Yay. Yep. And those that aren't, we'll do our post-TPF episode about a week after TPF, yep. basically, because we'll be back in two weeks. Right. And so uh, uh, just take care, everybody. We'll yep. talk to you later. See ya.